Well, special thanks to the band and the choir for uh, leading us this morning in worship. And a special thanks to you guys. Thanks for being here today with us. Thank you to our guests, our visitors, taking some time out of your weekend to join us on this Sunday. We hope that you are truly blessed by your time with us. As Ryan said, make sure you fill out the connection card, drop it by the I'm New table in the foyer. We'd love to bless you, thank you, and get to know you a little bit uh, in that space. Hey, we are in the middle of a sermon series right now called Better Together. In this series, we are talking about the importance of multi-generational relationships, say that five times fast, uh, here in the church. Uh, From certain psalms to certain biblical partnerships, from analogies used to describe the church to Paul's words to Timothy, God's word makes it clear that the church is at its best when there are folks from every life stage, when every age is together. You see, different generations are like chips and guac or copy and paste or Calvin and Hobbes. They're just better together. Amen? And so in this series, we are highlighting the five generations that are represented here at the church. We are celebrating who they are, and then we're championing uh, what they have taught us about walking with the Lord. Uh, Last week, we spent some time getting to know our millennials. If you weren't with us for that, you need to go back online, check out that message. If for no other reason, so you can see Pastor Nathan in skinny jeans. It's quite the sight. I've been praying for him all week. Uh, But I I didn't realize that dressing up like that generation was an option, and so I toyed around with dressing up like the next generation today, but I'm not sure I could pull this off. Uh, I haven't worn sweatpants that are tight at the ankles ever. So, uh, but this morning, uh, I'm excited to talk about our young people, uh, a group typically referred to as Generation Z. Uh, This generation was born anywhere from 1999 to 2015 or so. These folks are roughly 18 years old and younger. And according to certain polls, there are about 70 million Zs in America today. I'd love to see how many Zs are in our uh, presence today. They're normally sitting over here. So how many would consider themselves Generation Z? Raise your hands. There's our Zers right over there. A few others scattered throughout On the whole, uh, Zs have shown that they are very accepting of others, highly suspect of absolute dogmatic truth. They consider personal achievement, happiness, and hobbies as critically important to them. And their peer groups typically shape and define who they are, even more so than any other generation in history. Uh, If you want to understand the Zs, though, I think there are a few things that you you have to know. The first is that Zs truly are the first post-Christian generation. The word post means past or after, and so post-Christian means after the dominance of Christian thought, after the dominance of Christian influence, right? Uh, Gen Z is different and unique because many of them have never been exposed to Christianity or to the church. Many of their parents left the church. Many of their parents were never part of the church, and so basic biblical understandings, teachings, tenets that we all typically take for granted, Generation Z has never heard before. According to the Barna Group, teenagers today are the most non-Christian generation in American history. Only one, or only four out of every 100 teens hold a true biblical worldview. Barna's research discovered that more teens today identify themselves as agnostic or atheist, and 58% of this generation says that many religions can lead to eternal life. There's not just one way. See, along those same lines, a vast majority of Zs believe that truth changes as culture changes. 
And so long gone are the days of prayer in school, respect for the Bible, and families going to church together each and every Sunday. Secondly, you need to understand that Zs are the first screenager generation. Uh, our young people have never known a world without internet, smartphones, digital technology. And study shows that over 60% of this generation spends four hours or, mo or more a day on their phone. From gaming, consuming, streaming, Snapchatting, tumbling, tweeting, Instagramming, Facebooking, uh, this generation has given us the term nomophobia. You know what that means? That's the feeling of anxiety you get when you can't find your phone. Nomophobia. Uh, connected to all of this is the incredibly high depression and suicide rate that is in this generation. While teen pregnancy is at an all-time low, teen suicide and depression have skyrocketed in recent years. Some believe this is because although teens are more connected than ever before, social media actually exasperates loneliness, isolationism, exclusion, comparison, and a judgmental spirit. Research shows that the more time you spend on your screen or on your phone, actually the less, less happy you will be. Think about it this way. Many of us, uh, when we were kids, we knew we had to be on at certain moments or at certain times, maybe at school, at church, on the ball field. But there were a lot of times where we could, we could just be ourselves. We could be silly, stupid, immature little kids, right? Well, in today's generation, you never get a chance to be off. You never get a chance to be yourself because the phone is always right there. You always have to be on. One Z told me this way. He says, my name is like a brand, and I have to constantly watch how I market myself. There's a lot of pressure when you feel like you always have to be on. The third key thing about this generation is they are convinced that safety is a myth. Uh, the millennials hit on this a little bit last week, but for our youngest generation, school is not a safe place. The movies are not a safe place. Concerts are not a safe place. Airplanes aren't safe places. Trains aren't safe places. Even houses of worship are not safe places. Our world is dangerous, and our kids know this. Plus, our kids have only known America at war, but it's, it's a different kind of war. It's a war against an invisible moving target that, that hides out in the shadows and takes great delight in murdering innocent people, like yesterday in Pittsburgh. And the movies that our kids have grown up watching have only fed into this, right? Movies like The Hunger Games and Divergent. These aren't the feel-good movies like Mary Poppins that you and I grew up watching. These are dark and it shows that evil is out there, and it's very hard to overcome. Fourth and finally, diversity is the norm for our Zs. These teens have experienced diversity, and they represent diversity on a scale that is so different than most adults. This is the first generation where over half of those born are non-white. First generation in American history where over half of those born are non-white. This is the most racially and ethnically diverse generation in American history. Plus, one in eight kids today will describe their sexual orientation as something other than heterosexual. That is the highest percentage by far in American history. Uh, they have grown up with the bathroom wars, right, raging all around us. So from different religions to different ethnicities to different sexual preferences, diversity is the norm for our young people. And no two people in this generation look or think or act alike. All right, so now you know a little bit more about disease, but I want you to hear from disease. So take a look at this.
Well, I will never know a world without computers or the internet or Facebook or any of that. Whereas my parents were there when all of that came out. Like with the generation like that is kind of like growing up with like social media and stuff and like like Instagram, Snapchat, kind of like, like Fortnite. I think also since we grew up with it, it's like the only thing we know and like we didn't know any different. So it makes sense that we're on it more. Uh, I think our generation is different kind of because we have like more access to information and stuff than other generations in our past had. And I think that gives us an advantage over other generations because we get to learn more at a younger age. I feel like if I could characterize my generation, I feel like a lot of people think we're like, like the lazy generation because we have so many electronics and things. I think, yeah, I think we do get that rep like, they're the generation that's always on the phone, always lazy. And I, I mean, of course you're gonna see that with every generation, but I think the reason why people think that is because we have so much more access to that stuff. You know, back then you had, I don't know, you didn't have a phone, so you weren't, you didn't always have something to do when you were bored or something like that. Like you could go, I don't know, meet up somewhere and stuff like that. But nowadays, if you're bored, you just have your phone or video games you can play on. I agree with some of the stereotypes with like the phones and stuff, but like, it's not our fault that the technology is coming out. <laughs> like, if people in other generations had the technology, they'd be on it too. And definitely very accepting because that's kind of like what's on the news. They're like, oh, something comes up on the news and we start thinking of it that way. So it's kind of like being infiltrated into our minds to think that way. I feel like the reason we accept so many things is because we, ex we expect to be accepted like however we want. Because our parents are always like, do your own thing. Like people will accept you and if they don't, it's not a big deal. I guess people think that we're kind of carefree most of the time, except that's not always true with like schoolwork and everything. I feel like I'm a pretty stress-free person, but if I had to choose something, probably like school or athletics, that kind of thing. School, I worry about school and um, just like taking care of my brother when my mom's not feeling well. I guess maybe just about school and stuff. You have like a lot to do and you're like, oh shoot, I'm gonna fail at this. My grades is probably the number one thing. Grades you know, because there's consequences, obviously, if I have bad grades. Also, like, what's in the news right now is very troublesome. So that's one of the things I worry about. Sometimes I worry about, like, disappointing my parents, or, like, not making them proud of me. I don't really worry that much, but, like, if I do, it'll be, like, my family, like, getting injured or anything. I think something I'm, like, scared about is, like, something bad happening to, like, my family and stuff. Like, I don't know, I just always, like, yeah, and also, yeah, <laughs> that's really it. I have like really big fears of like getting kidnapped and stuff. So like whenever I'm like scared, I always like pray whenever like I need him and stuff. And like he just makes me feel like fine and okay. Trying to please everyone around me. Like I worry about, you know, making my friends happy or my family happy and the school happy. I worry about trying to be good enough sometimes. I worry about like, oh no, am I gonna get a good grade on this? Or like, am, do my friends like me? My family, my boyfriend, my school, my friends, everything. And I try to give it to God, but like, it's still, the worry's still there. A hero and a role model is definitely my mom because she is like, 
she's so faithful and to just like it's almost like I I guess I would describe it as I don't really see her anymore I see God I see the Holy Spirit so it's like her heart and her passion is just beautiful probably my parents or my older relatives also the youth group leaders probably my dad just cuz he's a really good guy and he just knows God really well I'd say my dad he's the one that'll help me get uh, more progress in everything. My dad's a good role model because he's, he's very successful and he's like just a nice person in general. A lot of people like him and my brother because I don't know, he's like, just like my best friend. My mom, 100%. Um, she's such a, played such a big role in my life. You know, she had me, but like just even throughout school, she's always been super supportive. I would say my parents for sure, my dad and David Perez as a youth leader. He works with kids about my, like, my age and so he knows how to handle situations and he has really matured even though he's a spaz, but yeah. I would consider my role model as my mom because she always is like inspiring me and telling me um, things that I can do, telling me I can do anything I set my mind to. She's just like so nice and like she's like friends with like everybody and like she believes in God like a lot and I just want to like be like her. My mom uh, is definitely one of my role models because um, like she teaches me like everything I need to know. Honestly like my whole family like my mom and my dad and my brother they're all like really good role models. How do I experience God? Yeah. So, um, I guess two like two biggest ways I experience God is probably worship and dance and other people. I guess three ways. I think worship or music especially, like the beginning of service, that's like one of my favorite times. I think there's a few different ways that I experience God. I think a lot of it would be just hanging out with people and like talking to people. Probably with my friends, they just help me, you know, find God more and definitely youth group a lot. Youth groups help a lot. I experience God like mainly through worship. I like playing the piano or guitar. At other times when you're hanging out with friends and everything, kind of have a cool feeling of, oh, thank you for all of this stuff. And definitely not for sure. Usually when I am with the youth group on trips, either sitting around a campfire or just, you know, sitting together, singing worship. I usually experience God at dance because like it's just a time to give it all to Him and just praise Him. Running because it's like really peaceful and quiet and you can just see like everything God made and it's really cool. I say through community, like just different communities that I've been in with youth group, I feel a connection with people. I feel like just like anywhere where it's just like, I don't know, it's quiet and there's just like not a lot going on and you can just really have like time to think is I feel like this is when I connect with God more. I honestly don't know how the most effective way to share the gospel with others because every time I do it, they make them mad because I'm, <laughs> More of a like forcer, like you need to believe this because I want you to be saved. Everyone knows about God and knows the storyline. I think it's more of um, living out your faith that you're trying to show. They like see you as a nice person and I think they that really like bounces off of them in a way and they're like, I want to be like that person, you know, kind and loving and just doing those things. And then people will see like, oh, well, like, how is like that person like happy, like find joy in everything? And I'm like, well, cause God, he's my joy. I would say I want my generation to be most known for as the one that 
grows the most and like we overcome what we're going through. My generation to be known for is like getting to know more about God and Jesus and like his word and stuff. I would rather have my generation come out and be a bunch of weird kids who aren't the norm than be a bunch of people who just sit there and blend in. I don't know, I kind of want to be like a generation who like tries hard. I don't know. I don't know another way to say it, but like just kind of like going after everything with like your whole heart. Hardworking. I want to, I feel like our generation is kind of a little lazy, a little bit complaining, and I don't like that. So if we were more like, like, oh, this generation, Generation Z, they're hard workers and they like, you know, that would be cool, I would like that. Well right now, it's probably known for like technology, but I'd want it to be known for something like good, like happy, yeah. I don't know quite what it would be, but something like happy. Thanks to our Z's who uh, participated in the video. Thanks to John and his crew for putting all that together, as always. Uh, let me close our morning out by sharing with you three biblical truths that I believe this generation has already taught us. They haven't been around for that long, but they have taught us some important lessons, and these are the, the top three, in my opinion. Number one is this. Doubt isn't what kills faith. Silence and ignorance do. Doubt isn't what kills your faith. It's silence and ignorance that do. This particular generation is very comfortable asking very hard questions about everything. God, the Bible, science, the nature of evil, other religions. In fact, a good portion of our young people, they excel at questioning things and expressing honest doubts about things. Right? If God is so good and so kind, then why does the world look the way it does? How can a loving God send a Muslim to hell if they're never given the chance to hear about Jesus Christ? If you were born anywhere else in the world, don't you think you would be the dominant religion in that area and not a Christian? How can some say the Bible teaches the earth is only 10,000 years old when science shows it's millions, if not billions of years old? And if you truly believe that, that Christianity is a call to selflessness and sacrifice, then why doesn't your life look like it more? And you can't just say to some of those questions, well, because the Bible, because the Bible says so. Because that just brings up a whole different set of questions. Well, why in the world should I trust the Bible? What about the contradictions in the Bible? What about the mass murders and the genocides in the Bible? What makes that book more trustworthy or reliable than any others? You see where I'm going with this? There's a lot of questions. And normally there's more questions following those questions. Generation Z is going to challenge us. In fact, they already have. But I say good. I say thank you to that. For far too long, the church has stayed silent. Or they've just been plain stupid when it comes to questions like these. These are honest, real, raw questions, and they need to be asked in this space. See, when asked, where do you feel comfortable wrestling with your identity, fears, and future, Gen Z said the church is the last place they would go. There's a problem with that church. That's a shame, don't you think? And here's why. Because doubting faith, or questioning one's faith. That's not the loss of faith. It's the maturation and development of faith. Let me say it again. Doubting faith or questioning one's faith, that's not the loss of faith. 
It's the maturation and development of faith. But what do we typically do as older generations? They start asking questions and what we do, you're asking questions about the Bible. You're questioning what we believe. You're questioning what the church does. So you're going to walk away from the faith. I just know it. Not necessarily. You can doubt and question. In fact, that's how you're supposed to grow and mature. See, and we as a church need to embrace and excel at asking and answering really hard questions because that's what Jesus did. I mean, think about how many times people try to trap him or, or, or hold him down to something, right? How many, try, how many times they try to get him to stumble over his words or say something to undermine his authority? What did he do? Well, let me answer your question with a question. What does the law say? Who here is without sin? Who was a real neighbor to the man in the story? Jesus asked profound questions. And that's what our young people are doing as well. And I think we as a church, we owe it to them to listen to and to work through and to seek answers to those questions, don't you? The second thing this generation has taught us is that horrible evil is not just out there. It's actually right here. It's not just out there. It's, it's right here. So we've already talked about things like school shootings and terrorism being on this generation's heart and mind. But the scariest danger that our young people are facing today, it's in the palm of their hands. You see, the presence of porn and sexting and cyberbullying they are literally one click away at any point. We have created a world where Wi-Fi is everywhere, and thus things like sexual sin, degrading videos, and demeaning messages are now also everywhere. A few years ago, it took some work to watch porn. Right? You had to like go in and sneak a magazine from your older brother or your dad. You had to like watch a movie by yourself late at night in the shadows right? when no one's looking. Well, it can happen now. Any day, all day, every day, at any point in the day. And guys, it's, it's, destroying. it's destroying our young people. We haven't even fully fathomed or seen the consequences of this danger. A little word to, to parents here. Many of us don't want to be labeled the stereotypical helicopter parent, right? We don't like that term, man. That's so negative. We want to be seen as cool and hip and with it. So we give our kids a bunch of freedom, and we assume that they're mature and responsible, and thus we fly away. Instead of hovering over them, we just fly away. And we ask them to fight this war on their own. <laughs> they're going to lose the war. If you don't fight for them, parents are going to lose that war if you're not right next to them fighting with them. You assume it's okay. It's anything but okay. This is destroying our young people. If you aren't talking about porn almost daily, in my opinion, if you aren't talking about sexual purity almost daily, if you aren't helping them navigate the consequences of certain behaviors, the worldview that's being broadcasted in all of these different advertisements, if, if you aren't fighting for them, they're going to lose. And this week I was thinking of when the Lord told Cain, sin is crouching at the door waiting to devour you. Sin is crouching 
on this screen. And it is trying to devour them. And we got to step it up. Because it's not out there. It's right here. Third and finally, dismissing someone who is not Christ-like. Dismissing someone is not Christ-like. Seeing them is. As we've already talked about, one of the things that dominates this generation is the issue of sexual identity and the progression of the LGBT community. And the church does itself no favors, and it drives our young people even further away when it just dismisses those who are questioning their sexuality or who might claim to be different from the norm. And there's this incredible story in Luke chapter 7 where this sexually promiscuous, very sinful woman, um, she busts into this re- religious leader's house while he's hosting a dinner party for Jesus. I mean, this guy made sure everything was just right in that setting. And here she comes in, and she's crying, and she's screaming, and she's wetting Jesus' feet with her hair, and and, and her tears, she's wiping it with her hair, she's pouring out expensive perfume, the aroma is filling up the room. I mean, the guy is outraged. Like, are you kidding me right now? And and he says, man, if Jesus only knew how ugly, how, how gross this woman was, he wouldn't even let her touch him. And Jesus says this. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's, she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Rut, what? Rut, rut, rut. What an incredible question. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Well, of course he saw her. She's hard to miss. She's a mess, and she's making a mess. But Christ's question isn't about Simon's physical sight and if he saw her with his eyes. The question is about his spiritual sight and if he saw her with his heart. Do you see this woman? Do you understand her situation at all? Do you realize how hard she has had it? Do you get how abuse and neglect have played into all of this? Do you even fathom the rejection and the shame that she has felt over the years from family and friends and even her Lord? Do you see her as a hurting human being? Do you see her? Or are you just dismissing her because she's other than, because she's different than? Now, I believe with all my heart the biblical narrative teaches that the LGBTQ lifestyle is not the way God intended for men and women to express and experience their sexuality. But Jesus excelled at accepting the people of his day who struggled to live in and live out that truth. From the woman who had uncontrollable menstrual bleeding to the woman who was sleeping around with every guy in town to the eunuch who literally cut off his man parts. The early church did an incredible job of loving those who were other than. And this next generation, guys, you are forcing us 
to do the same. And I say, well done to you. I say, well done to you. RZs, they haven't been around a whole long, uh, or very long, but they have taught us a lot of things. And I want to challenge us to embrace and accept and champion this young generation far more than we have in the past. Young people, we're so grateful that you're part of this place because we are so much better together. Amen, church? Let me pray with you real fast, and I want to make a quick announcement. God, would you strengthen this church to be a place that reaches and loves and ministers to, strengthens, serves, and exalts the next generation, God. We'd be a place where Gen Z can feel like they can come and wrestle and question and doubt and struggle. We'd be a place that accepts everyone, God, because we are all sinners saved by grace. Will the next generation see West Bowles as a city on a hill, a place of refuge, a home away from home? Would we invest in the next generation, God? And they have so much to teach us. Would we sit humbly at their feet and learn all that we can? Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.